Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. I'm Janae Pierre, in from Melissa Harris-Perry, and this is The Takeaway. As Florida Governor Ron DeSantis eyes a likely 2024 presidential bid, he's become one of the loudest voices opposing open discussion in education on public health, gender identity, and race. Governor DeSantis recently announced a plan to block diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in Florida colleges. It's in line with the state's Stop Woke Act of 2022, which assumes that critical race theory is running rampant throughout politics and education, and that programs focused on race and diversity are discriminatory and harm students by limiting discourse. The act also strictly limits what and how American history can be taught in Florida classrooms, especially when it comes to oppression and racism. We believe in education, not indoctrination. In January, Florida's Department of Education rejected an advanced placement course in African-American studies. The course is undergoing a pilot phase in 60 high schools across the country, including one Florida school. AP classes like these help high school students earn college credit, and this specific course was created by the College Board as an elective for students. The proposed curriculum saw students learning about key frameworks in Black history, ranging from a revolutionary Angolan queen to Black Lives Matter, and interacting with the work of foundational figures, including Malcolm X and Bell Hooks. But according to DeSantis, This course on Black history, what are one of, what's one of the lessons about? Queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of Black history is queer theory? Last week, the College Board announced it had revised its plan for the course, and the omissions are somewhat glaring. Gone are voices like Kimberly Crenshaw and Angela Davis, as are discussions of queer history, Black Lives Matter, and movements for reparations. Although the College Board and the committee of teachers who developed the course say these changes were not made because of political pressure, others have pointed out that they do reflect the main complaints of the Florida DOE. When you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. Here with me now is John Diamond, professor of sociology and education policy at Brown University. John, welcome to The Takeaway. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So Florida Governor DeSantis called the AP course in African-American studies indoctrination. What do you think he's actually saying there? I mean, I think the claim is that if people are exposed to this kind of material, that they're being um, indoctrinated, that they're being taught material that isn't sort of essential knowledge that people need to know, and that they're being encouraged to engage in some type of behavior um, that he's opposed to. I mean, I think it's important to recognize that Governor DeSantis and a lot of uh, folks on the right have been pushing this anti-critical race theory sort of um, set of arguments uh, in, in, a, in largely an effort to gain political leverage, but also to support broader systems of oppression uh, like white supremacy and heteropatriarchy. And so I think the challenge for us is to parse um, what they're uh, really trying to say and what their larger agenda is. 
why is a separate African-American studies course necessary? And why is this content not more integrated into other high school courses? I mean, I think one of the challenges uh, for us um, in thinking about uh, these kinds of courses is that the history of African-Americans, of women, uh, of other groups uh, that have been marginalized in society has been largely left out of the core curriculum of many schools. Mm -hmm. um, many schools are, are rooted in a, a history that largely emphasizes the accomplishments and experiences and, and histories and philosophies of folks from Europe. And courses like this grow out of a larger movement that pushed for the creation of Black studies and other studies departments. And there was a lot of resistance when those uh, departments were created. If you think about the origins of Black studies at San Francisco State, there were violent, there was violent resistance uh, to the creation of, of those uh, areas of study. So this is consistent with the history of trying to silence those voices. Um, but I think the learning and the uh, engagement that can happen when people are exposed to a broader set of history um, is, is good for all students. Help us get a better understanding of the history of Black Studies courses in the U.S. I'm thinking, you know, when did we start to see those courses develop and also where? Well, we started really seeing those develop um, in San Francisco State, at San Francisco State, uh, where students uh, pushed for uh, the creation of these kinds of spaces of African uh, Black Studies. Um, and again, as I mentioned, there was a violent resistance uh, to that effort, but ultimately those courses got created. And over time, you started seeing the emergence of uh, more studies departments that cut across racial groups that included uh, departments that focus on gender and women's studies. Um, and that created a space for um, engagement around issues that had been kept out of the curriculum of many colleges and universities. I want to talk about the impact that a course like this could have on uh, students of color. What does it mean for Black students to have a course like this? I think it's it's huge. It helps to legitimize the areas of study that have been, you know, largely legitimized in higher education. It's part of what students will be exposed to when they get to universities and colleges after leaving high school. And it establishes this is a legitimate area of study for folks um, in high school. So I think it's really important to have um, these avenues for learning alongside other areas of study. The other thing that's really important is that ethnic studies courses have over several years been studied and we've been trying to understand the impact of having these courses on students. Uh, recent work by Sade Bonilla um, and colleagues shows that in San Francisco, ethnic studies courses actually increase graduation rates, increase attendance, and increase college going um, for students who had not been achieving at high levels um, and were marginalized racially um, in schools. So not only do these courses provide students with a way to engage more deeply in school and in education, but they also provide opportunities to um, enhance their higher education uh, possibilities and potential. So I think a course in African-American studies at the AP level would just deepen that kind of opportunity for students to engage more deeply and enhance um, their long-term educational opportunities. After a quick pause, we'll have more on Florida education policy with John Diamond right after this. Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. 
Join us for If This Hall Could Talk, a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and together we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts. I'm Janae Pierre, and I'm talking with John Diamond, professor of sociology and education policy at Brown University. So, John, could you walk us through the process that went into creating this AP pilot course in African-American studies? This has been a long process. Um, uh, People who are involved in it tell me that they, you know, had the vision for this for a decade. But they went through a really systematic process where they invited um, in people who had been teaching in African-American studies, people who knew the field. And I think uh, the number was 300 people had participated in the creation uh, of the course. There were a core group of people who um, came together and spent a lot of time thinking about the course. It involved educators um, around the country who had backgrounds in African-American studies and African-American history faculty members uh, from many universities. And so it's been a long process, a long vetting process. And they've been piloting uh, the course in I think about 60 schools across the country. Mm-hmm. And part of the changes that we see, I think have been mis- misrepresented to some extent. Queer theory, issues of uh, critical race theory are still part of what students may be ex- exposed to in the course. There is a framework that actually includes a lot of information that relates to the history of African-Americans, but also relates to the important role that uh, that uh, lesbian women have played in the creation of frameworks that help us understand what's going on um, in society and diagnosing challenges that are faced by groups uh, in, an, in a way that is intersectional. So I think when people talk about what's been taken out of, taken out of the course, it's part of a long process through which teachers, students, and educators have been piloting the course and refining it over time. So at least from what I know, the college board has not taken out material uh, from the course and removed it completely. Um, there's a large digital resource guide that teachers can use to teach core concepts that's still in the curriculum. Um, even some of the names that have been mentioned that have been taken out are actually still accessible and part of what students can be exposed to in the mm-hmm. curriculum. And you're talking about names like Angela Davis and Kimberly Crenshaw, of course. Yes. How does this move by Governor DeSantis to reject the pilot curriculum dovetail with the so-called anti-woke agenda he and the Republican Party have been on? I mean, I I think it it really does tie to a larger agenda that's really about responding to challenges to forms of oppression uh, like white supremacy, like heteropatriarchy. I think what folks are are really building on is the executive order. that uh, former President Trump uh, signed in 2020. Uh, Much of the language from these anti-CRT bills can be tied back to the language that was used um, in that executive order. And I think this is all in some ways in response to efforts to resist these forms of oppression. The large uh, mobilization of activity around uh, George Floyd's murder, in some ways, sparked um, this for, these forms of resistance. And I think it's largely about silencing dissent. It's largely about keeping certain voices off of the table. And it's also 
tied to uh, forms of maintaining power like voter suppression across many locations. So you have states across the country, some 40 states introducing legislation to uh, exclude material on critical race theory. Some of these same states are also trying to limit the ability of folks of color to vote in um, elections. So a lot of this is tied to a deeper process, not just of someone like Governor DeSantis trying to get elected, but a larger process of folks trying to disenfranchise voters and maintain power in the hands of um, of certain people in the society. Mm -hmm. This news hit just as Black History Month began, and the official theme for this year is Black resistance. What does Black resistance mean to you today? I think Black resistance really means being able to create a world that is safe, uh, to create a world where our voices are heard, where we can create a world that looks like the world of uh, racial justice that people espouse wanting to see. And it means, you know, resisting in many different ways. Um, it means, you know, sort of on a daily basis, resisting sort of racial microaggressions or those those moments of um, people disrespecting folks based on on race. It means larger processes of trying to change organizations and institutions to function in more equitable ways. And it means challenging uh, efforts to silence dissent and our ability to resist these forms of oppression that are clearly present but often denied. John Diamond is a professor of sociology and education policy at Brown University. His book is called Despite the Best Intentions, How Racial Inequality Thrives in Good Schools. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. 